Good morning. I am Pastor Mike. Uh, you know, last week we started a new series on the core values of the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is the denomination that our church is a part of. And the first core value that we looked at was that lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. That God loves people, and he desires those who don't have a relationship with him to have one. To not only know of God and of his character, but to have a friendship with God, a relationship. You know, we were all lost at one point. Some don't know they're lost, and some don't want to be found. But God, he loves the lost. And God allows us the joy of seeking and finding the lost. And today the core value that we're going to look at is that everything is God's. You know, if you ever look at the early years of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, you're going to find fascinating story after story of men and women who simply surrendered everything to Jesus. Men and women who are completely sold out on the idea of evangelizing the world, of, of telling others about the life and message of Jesus and bringing back the King, that they volunteered to go to places that the gospel has never been, Africa and Asia and South America. And these missionaries, they were so dedicated to this work that despite the dangers that they faced, uh, you know, from the travel and the new land and unknown people, what they would do is they would pack all their gear in a coffin, all their stuff in a coffin, knowing that the only time they would return home is when they'd be in their coffin. With such dedication and zeal, God, God used these people in profound ways to build and advance his kingdom. And one woman who was a part of this was named Louise Shepard. Louise attended a Deeper Life conference at Round Lake in 1891. It was there at this 11-day conference that a fire, a fire was lit in Louise when she heard a plea from a pastor to spread the gospel to every living creature in the next 10 years. And Louise was relatively a new believer and you may be expecting me to tell you that right then and there, like she packed her bags and then she went to the distant shores. No, that, that, that wasn't her story. But what she did was just as faithful and just as profound. What she did is she took off all of her jewelry and she laid it on the altar so that one more missionary could go out to the regions beyond to tell of Jesus. She then asked others to match her giving in the Spirit of God, it moved. And one after another, they took off watches and pins and chains and they laid them on the altar so that the missionaries had the necessary means to go out. You see, God's people began to understand that everything, that their very lives and all of their possessions and belongings belonged to God, that they weren't theirs that they had no right to it. It was all God's. A core value of the Christian and Missionary Alliance is that we believe that everything is God's, that it all belongs to God's, that we are his stewards. We are only his stewards, which means that we take care of his things. So our time, it's not ours, it's his. Our talent, 
not ours, but his. And our treasures are not ours, they're his. The best biblical example of this life value being lived out uh, is Abraham. And by looking at Abraham's story and journey, it's going to help us understand this alliance core value. Uh, You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. Um, It will be on the screen behind you, and we're going to be jumping around and moving pretty quickly. So it may be easier to view the screen today, but that's kind of up to you. Let me give you some context of what's going on. When God decided that he was ready to have a people of his own, a nation of his own, where he would be their God and that they would be his people, he picked Abraham to be the father of it. Abraham was chosen by God. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be, ble- you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham was from Ur when God picked him. When God chose him. When God decided that he was going to use Abraham. That he would prosper Abraham. That he would bless Abraham. That he was going to take care of him and provide for his every need. God would do it. Everything is God's and he can do with it whatever he wants. Right? If he wants to bless Abraham, then he's free to do that. If he wants to take away from Abraham, well, he's free to do that as well. See, I, I really don't think we wrestle with this concept because it's pretty much how our culture operates, right? It's mine. I'll do with it what I want. My house, my rules. Right? Even little children understand this, right? A little child builds a, a tower out of blocks, right? That's his tower, right? If anybody else knocks down that tower, right? And justice has been done and someone's going to pay. Right? We don't wrestle with this concept. What we do wrestle with, though, is who we think is the true owner of things. Us or God. See, for Abraham, there was no wrestling. You see, Abraham had this kind of posture when it came to his life and his time and his talents and his treasures. Allowing God to do whatever he wanted. Abraham, he didn't have this kind of posture with a closed fist and holding tightly onto things. See, people do this when they think it's theirs, that they deserve things, that they've earned them and that they're the owner of things. See, Abraham... He truly knew that everything was God's and that God was the owner of everything. So God promised Abraham that he would be the father of his people and of many nations and God would use Abraham to bless others. That's what God wanted to do and that's what God did. Over the course of the next several years, God blessed Abraham with many material things and success Chapter 13 reveals to us that Abraham, he he became really rich in livestock, in silver and gold and even servants and hired help. And it wasn't just him, it spilled out onto others, even those around him. 
Genesis chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot and all their flocks and the herds living so close together. So not only was Abraham blessed, but his companions were blessed as well. They were so wealthy that it says the land could not support them, right? They had too many cattle. There wasn't enough food for people. There wasn't enough space for people. So they had to split up. See, it was God. It was God who was blessing Abraham. And Abraham knew it was God. And whatever God gave, Abraham was content in what God gave him. We can really see Abraham's contentment when we get to chapter 14. In chapter 14, we read this story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were invaded and they were plundered. And in that invasion, Abraham's nephew, Lot, who we just read about a second ago, he was captured. So Abraham got involved to to rescue Lot. And we're not going to read this for time's sake, but I do want to share this story. So Abraham gets involved, right? And Abraham, he's able, he's successful in his rescue mission. And he got Lot back, and he, he got all the goods that were stolen, and all the people that were kidnapped. He got them all back. And Abraham, then what he did is he, he took all the goods, and he gave a tenth of it to the high priest, Melchizedek. And this is the first recording in the Bible of what we see and know as a tithe. And then what happens next is the king of Sodom, he comes out and he thanks Abraham for, for returning these things and getting these things back. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, you know what? If you give me back my people, then you can keep all of the goods. You can keep all of those things that you recovered. But here's the thing. Abraham knew that God was in control of his life. That everything he had was God's. And Abraham wanted to be faithful to God, just as God has always been faithful to Abraham. So what Abraham did is he said, no. No, I'm not going to take any of the spoils of war. And he did this because he didn't want anyone to think that they had a hand into making him rich or successful or blessed. Abraham didn't want the king of Sodom to think he had any role in making Abraham what he was. God alone would do that. God alone would be the one to bless and to give Abraham what he needed. Not the king of Sodom, not anyone else. That's how content Abraham was in God. What an incredible perspective. When I first read this and and realized this was the heart of Abraham, man, it, it, was like, it was like a punch in my gut. And it made me think, am I really, truly content with what God has given me? Do I praise him for everything in my life? What I deem good and what I deem bad? Or do I wish Do I even secretly wish for something more? For something better? Bigger house? Better car? The latest tech? New shoes? 
What about you, church family? Are you content with what God has given you? Are you content where God has you? God has always been, and he always will be faithful. And he's proven it over and over. Chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Sometimes later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings when I don't have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. See, God was faithful, and God knew Abraham's heart. And he wanted a son. He didn't long for more stuff, gold or silver or livestock, nothing like that. But he wanted a son. You see, that part of the promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. And year after year, Abraham would wait, and he would wait for God to give him a son. But there was no child. And I'm pretty sure this promise was beginning to feel like an empty promise from God. Church, how hard is it to wait? How hard is it? How long do you wait? I'm terrible at waiting. You can ask my wife. Terrible. So I can't imagine Abraham's wait, which wasn't a year. It wasn't two years. It wasn't five or 10 or 15. Abraham waited 25 years for this promise of God to be fulfilled. 25 years before the promise came to life. That's a long wait. But God is faithful. Let's read about it. Uh, This is Genesis chapter 21 now. It says, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he has promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son, a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at the time that God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. And finally, the deepest longing of Abraham's heart had come true. And 25 years later, Isaac was born. I, I can't imagine just how overjoyed Abraham would have been in this very moment. You see, God was communicating, and he was proving to Abraham that he had it under control. That truly, everything was God's. That he was the owner of everything, and he's free to give as he sees fit. And every day, you know, Abraham, he would have looked at Isaac, and he would be reminded of this promise. But then we get to chapter 22. And then chapter 22, something interesting happens. God God wanted and he needed to test Abraham to find out something critical. 22, Genesis 22, verse 1. It says, sometimes later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah 
Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. What? Talk about a horrible request. Right? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, why would God do that? Why would he ask for that? Like, this is the promise. To me, this is just crazy. This is a crazy request. You know, but, but what blew my mind more than the request is actually the response of Abraham. See, what you don't see in chapter 22, nowhere do you see Abraham arguing with God or fighting with God, or taking his son and fleeing in the opposite direction, which is probably what I would have done. And you don't see that anywhere in chapter 22. You don't see Abraham fighting back, and you know why? It's this. For 100 years, Abraham walked with God. God had proven himself faithful and trustworthy over and over in his life. Every day, year after year, God provided for Abraham's every need. And Abraham was content in God. And as God was faithful, Abraham wants to be faithful. He knew that he heard God, and he knew that God must be obeyed. And so he takes his son Isaac and he sets off for the mountain to perform this sacrifice. You know, and his son looks around and says, hey dad, like, where, where's, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham t- says to his son, the Lord will provide. The Lord will give us what we need. He will provide. Like he's always done. So they get to the place of the sacrifice and Abraham, he takes his son and he bounds him and he puts him on the altar and then he takes out his knife and he's about to plunge it into his son to slay him. And then God intervenes. And God says, Abraham, ho, 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 hold on, Abraham. Don't lay a hand on the boy for I know that you fear me, that you love me because you did not withheld your son from me. Then Abraham, he lifts his grateful eye and he sees a ram that was caught in the thicket by its horns. You see, God had provided. God had provided. Abraham knew this. So why did God take Abraham through this test? Like, what was the point of it all? What was this critical thing that he needed to know? And it's this. And it's something that he asks of you and me as well. God wants to know which is more important to you, the promise or him? The dream or him? Certainly, God was asking Abraham through this this whole test, this question, Abraham, who do you love more, Isaac or me? God learned that Abraham was willing to sacrifice and give everything. He was willing to let go of everything, and I mean everything, the deepest longing of his heart before he would let go of God. 
And church family, I know that this message is really, really hard because it goes kind of against everything in our culture. Our culture is all about this pursuit of more, isn't it? Right? The pursuit of bigger and better and bigger house and better car and more money and nicer things and trips and vacations and shiny stuff. That's what our culture is all about. It's all about us. And we have it so broken. And this is backwards. This is not what God intended for us. This is not what God wants. He doesn't want us to live in the pursuit of more. The only pursuit, the only pursuit that we should be pursuing things is towards the presence and the person of Jesus. I mean, that's the only pursuit that matters. That's the only pursuit with everlasting value. It's knowing him and being with him. Having this type of posture with our lives so God can do with it whatever he wants. So we can bless others. You know, and the cool thing is that God gives us the opportunity to live like this or, or like this. There is a, uh, there's this parable in Matthew 25 and, it, and it's a story of three servants and to one servant, he gives one talent, and then another, he gives two talents, and, and then to the third, he gives five talents, and a, a talent is about 20 years of wage, all right? And each servant has the opportunity to further their master's kingdom and to bring their master glory. And the servant with the five talents, he went out and he worked hard because, because he had this type of posture, and he was able to double what he was given, and the servant with two talents, he went out and he had this type of posture, so he too was able to double what he was given. And finally the master returns home and, and the master looks at these two servants and he says to them, well done, well done. He is, that they're praised and they're promoted and they're given more opportunities. Now that servant with one talent, for whatever the reason, he had this kind of closed hand posture with this. And he took it and he, and he buried it in the ground. He didn't use the opportunity. He was afraid. He, he had fear of risk, fear of upsetting his master. You know, what, whatever the reason, the excuse, the excuse, it didn't hold up to the master. The servant refused to further the master's kingdom and glory. And so when the master came, came home, he was furious with his servant. And he called him lazy and wicked. And he told that servant to get out. In church family, this parable, it's not about money. It's not about how much was given to one person over another. It's not even about the return of investment. It's not about how much money they made. What this story is about is about the master's kingdom. It's about the opportunities that he's given us to further the master's kingdom. You need to know that God has you right where he wants you. 
and he's given you what he has chosen to give you. Your life, your job, the money that you have, your family, your children, the people you know, your neighbors, the material things you have, God has given those to you. And my question is, what type of posture do you have with those things? Is it this? Or is it, or is it this? I'm going to invite up uh, Pastor Kirk and Heather to come forward, along with Bill and Marilee Schnack. And, and they're going to tell you a story. A recent happening in their lives where they've had this opportunity to live out this core value that everything belongs to God. And they are just as stewards. So I'm going to invite you guys to, to share your story. Well, the story begins for us. We found ourselves six and a half years ago looking for a house. We bought this house. It was way more than we ever expected to be able to afford. You know the old saying, you will do better in Toledo. <laughs> So we moved into this four-bedroom house thinking with three children this house would be suitable for our needs. Two decided to stay in Michigan. One married off a, a year later, and so we found ourselves in a four-bedroom house with just the two of us, empty nesters, about six years ago. And we've, we've been saying to ourselves, God, this is more house than we need. How can we utilize the home? And and we've had opportunities to have some of you over for picnics and barbecues and such, and even had some borders that different people that lived with us for a time in our extra bedrooms. Most recently, we explored foster care for that very purpose, too, to think maybe God gave us this house so that we could house a child. We were in Germany, as most of you know, last month, and during our time there, we encountered Ben and Sarah Carey, who are international workers, also known as missionaries with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And they were telling us a story about how they're preparing to come home for furlough for their home year of home assignments beginning June 26th. And I said, we, we had some great discussions. We just love the family. We love their generosity. Uh, they were actually taking care of UK, Ukrainian refugees in their home. And I said, what's your greatest need as you're looking forward to coming back to the States for a year? And they said, we're looking for a place to live. Well, if any of you know anything about the housing market, it's trash right now. <laughs> uh, you, it is nearly impossible to find anything. And they said, it's especially difficult for us because we have four children. And trying to find housing for one year with four children on the other side of the world is a great challenge. And I began to think, hmm. I wonder who has a four-bedroom house that might be able to serve this particular family. And Heather had the same thought, and our minds were racing, and we thought, I wonder if. But then there was a pretty big problem. The problem was uh, we already had house guests. Our son and his lovely wife moved in with us the end of March while they were um, in between a living space. They, they could not find a house. They'd been looking since September, could not find a place to live. Their rent was raised like ridiculously high. So they came and lived with us the end of March with an unknown length of time. Um, my mama's heart is super happy about that. I'm, we're loving it. We're loving it. So in Germany, we're like, well, we can't 
kick out Trevor and Samantha. That would be rude. So we're not going to be able to offer our house anyway because um, they haven't even found a house yet. So we get home uh, the day before Easter. And on Easter, we had Easter dinner with our kids. And Trevor and Samantha announced to us that they found a house. They uh, put an offer on the house. It was accepted. This was all while we were in Germany, and, and they hadn't told any of us. And so everything is going smoothly, and they are uh, planning on moving out the end of this month, beginning of June. And so we um, felt called to offer our house to the Carries at that point. I just want to tell you, though, that after Mike, Pastor Mike spoke, I, I've been hit with the fact that the, there was a time in my life I, I wouldn't have done that. And um, through, through trauma in life, I had to learn how to lay my Isaac down mm-hmm. and trust God in his faithfulness. And I'm seeing that so clearly right now that um, I just want to thank Mike. I never saw it that way, but... Uh, my perspective changed a lot, and I am so grateful, and he is so faithful. So uh, the Carries are moving into our house um, the end of June, and you're wondering, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. But you're wondering, oh, by the way, we're not going to live there with mm-hmm. them, too many people. So where are we going? <laughs> so... Kirk and Heather invited us out for lunch. <laughs> and um, as many of you won't be surprised to know this, as I was uh, sitting there thinking after Kirk said, would you consider us staying with you for a year? I uh, was quietly uh, trying to process that. And my... <laughs> And my wife, though, just pops up and said, well, sure. <laughs> that way we can put up the great big Christmas tree and Kirk can help. <laughs> well, we, uh, we did pray about this. And we recognized that we do have the room. And that we're never too old for an adventure. Mm-hmm. And we granted their request. So, yeah. so these are our roommates for the next year. <laughs> what? Yes, you can pray for us. Uh, but we are confident. We, we, uh, we've traveled together. We know that we can, can get along. Um, and uh, so we just, we're thankful. We are so thankful and so blessed because who, who, would, who would open their house to us? I mean, right? That's just crazy. They are crazy. (laughs) They are crazy, but we love them and we love you guys and and, um, thank you. We know that we have your support and um, yeah, that's about it, eh? All right. Oh, wait, Bill's not done. Are you sure you don't? Can you believe she said, I don't want to talk, I'm shy? (laughs) I I am feeling a little bit sorry for Kirk and Heather is. I fear they have no idea what they're getting into. But um, on the other hand, while praying about this, and I don't want to take away from uh, the pastor here, but um, while praying about this, the Lord has reminded us that 
He doesn't ask about our ability, our inability. He already knows that. Mm. But he does want our availability. And we uh, recognize that whatever our circumstances, we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. We know that he has a plan and his plan is perfect. We want to be available. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So we are all excited and thankful that we can be a part of that plan, and we want God to have the glory. And that's our story. Yeah.